Hello, and welcome to the Pathway Podcast. Our mission is to help you know God, find family, and make a difference. Enjoy today's message. We're ending a series that has been going for the last two weeks. It's a three-week series. Today we're going to end it. And, uh, and we've been talking about happy. And, and the idea is happy, finding joy in the middle of blank, whatever the blank is in your life that you need to fill the blank in. And so happy. And we talked the very first week, you can go back on our YouTube channel and watch it. But the first week we talked about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is what I can do. It's what happens to me. It's what I can create, but it often leaves me very quickly. Joy is what God does in me. And it's almost impossible for that to leave. But at times we can, we can kind of like give our joy away if we're not careful. And last week we looked at kind of part one, we looked at one of the most famous cases, if not the most famous case in the entire Bible of severe depression. And a lot of times we think these people in the Bible are these superheroes, and and they are to an extent, but they're just like me and you. To say that you and I can do what they did, I believe that. In fact, that's my prayer. God, I want the stuff you to do in my life look like, you know, nothing compared to what they did. I mean, that's, that's my prayer. But they still face real struggles like we do. And we looked at a guy named Elijah in, in the Old Testament of the Bible. There's, the Bible has New and Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a book called First Kings, it's called Kings because it's about the kings of Israel. We have this guy, Elijah, and he was the prophet. He was like the pastor to the nation. I mean, he was a very well-known, respected, the most godly guy in the nation at that time. The most famous, one of the most famous prophets in the entire Bible, really, and has a remarkable story. And Elijah uh, was, was in Israel, and during that time, Israel had a king named King Ahab, and he had a wife named Queen Jezebel. And and Ahab and Jezebel were horrible kings. They turned the hearts of the people of Israel. Instead of worshiping the true God, the God of the Bible, they turned their hearts away to worship all these different false gods, these little statues, these figurines. And one of them was called Baal. In fact, Jezebel, her name is part of Baal, this, this false god. And so they turned the hearts of the people away to worship these statues, and, and one of them was Baal, and they believed that Baal could bring rain and produce crops, and, and it's not true because it was a statue. Statues aren't alive. They're, they're just made of rock. And so God basically says, look, if you don't need me, then I won't make it rain because Baal can't make it rain. And if you're not asking me to make it rain, why would I? And so for three years, there's a, a severe drought, a severe drought. So at the end of it, King Ahab finally says, okay, okay, enough. He calls Elijah in, and he says, hey, Elijah, this is all in chapter 18. Elijah, I tell you what, uh, call God, ask God to bring the rain. But I tell you what, before he does, let's do this challenge. The God that answers with fire brings fire down from heaven. That's the God that we will worship as a whole nation. And, and Elijah says, okay, great. So they get 450 prophets of Baal. And it says all day long they were screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs so much that they were hoarse. They couldn't even talk anymore. They were literally exhausted, the Bible says. They were cutting themselves, begging and pleading this false god Baal, this statue, to do something. And nothing happened, of course. And then Elijah steps over just by himself. He's the only one by himself. And he prays a prayer that's like two sentences long. And he basically just says, God, to prove to everybody else in the nation that you are the real God, the only God, let fire come down. And immediately fire falls down, burns up everything. And Elijah, uh, they, they kill the 450 prophets of Baal. As a result of that, then Elijah goes off and he prays for rain to come. God sends a flash flood of rain. 
And then King Ahab, we talked last week, Ahab goes home to the palace and he tells his wife Jezebel, hey, here's what happened. Elijah, you know, brought fire down, and, and the God that we serve is false. Like, I, the God you're named after is not real, and, and he killed all the prophets of Baal. And so she sends him a text message, and she probably put it on social media, too, that said, I will kill you this time tomorrow, Elijah. So Elijah goes from literally calling fire down from heaven to hours later running for his life. We read last week in, in verses 4 that Elijah runs off. He leaves his servant by himself. He's all alone, and he prays that God would take his life. He's having suicidal thoughts. I mean, this is as low as you can get. There's this great man of God. I mean, but he was a person just like me and you. I mean, how do you go from calling fire down from heaven to running away from one sentence from the enemy? We talked about that last week, ways that we lose our happiness, ways that it is taken from us. Now, today we want to we look at ways that we get our joy back, ways that we can get our happiness back again. How many of you know the last couple of years have been a rough go of it, right? The last couple of years with, with COVID and elections and all, everything around the world, it's been chaos. And I just think what we need to do, there's like a darkness over the land. And, and we just, I just want to expose that for what it is, a lie of the enemy, and bring some joy back to our lives, bring some joy back to our hearts and to our communities, to our families. And, and I just encourage you as well, this message, um, uh, we're, we're getting it from the Bible, but we're getting a lot of thoughts as well from a book, and I highly recommend it. You can come talk to me later about it, but it's called Out of the Cave by a pastor named Chris Hodges. And so I encourage you, if you want everything I'm giving you, but in a lot more detail, that's the book for you. And he takes a lot of what we're talking about and just goes more in depth at what we maybe don't have time for on a Sunday. Today we want to look at ways that we get out of the cave, ways that we get our joy back. And we're going to look exactly at what God did in Elijah's life. And so check this out in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. It says this, then he laid down and slept under a broom tree, but as he was sleeping, so he just prayed for God to kill him, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread, baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food they gave him was enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been zealously served. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel has broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a great fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he replied, I have been zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel has broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of the prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nishma, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, to in the town of Abal-Malah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu were killed by Elisha. Yet I preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Now here's the amazing thing about that. And he goes on and he does exactly what God tells him to do. So where we kind of ended last week, we ended on somewhat of a down note because that's how it begins, that he's begging God to kill him. He's, he's going to quit on God. He's going to quit on ministry. He's going to quit on himself. He's done. God, kill me. I'm no better than my ancestors. I don't want to live anymore. And then now he gets to this tree and he's exhausted. And an angel comes and wakes him up and says, get up and eat. And he eats some bread. He drinks some water. And he goes to sleep again. And he sleeps for a while. The angel wakes him up, and it repeats it. Last week, if you remember, uh, we ended by saying that when Elijah is running into the cave, but really the thing that we think that we're running from, Elijah was running from Jezebel. But what he didn't know was that as much as he's running from Jezebel, he's really running into God's grace. That you could be running from something in your life, but God's going to use the very thing you're running from to lead you right to where he is at. Because that's what happened with Elijah. The thing that you're running from, God says, I'm going to use that so that you're running into my grace. Now, here's the next thing, that your grace gives rest. The grace that God gives us gives us rest. Notice the first thing God does with Elijah. He had just asked God, kill me. I'm done. I'm ready to quit. I'm all alone. This is it. First thing God does, he doesn't lecture him. He doesn't beat him over the head. He doesn't say, you should know better. I'm disappointed in you, Elijah. He doesn't talk theology. He doesn't even say, Elijah, get up and pray. The first thing he does, hey, take a rest. Just sleep. You're exhausted. We said last week, God has not created you and I to work seven days a week. He did not create you to do that. God created you to work six days a week, but then have a seventh day of rest. God wants you to rest. You, like we said last week, faster isn't always farther. And just because it's doable does not mean it's sustainable in your life. I understand it's seasons of life where we're very busy, but you need seasons of rest. You need a regular rhythm and routine of rest, or you're going to exhaust yourself, and that's where Elijah is, ready to quit. So he says, hey, first thing God says, just rest. You're exhausted, just rest. Notice the second thing God does. It's not, hey, get up and pray, get up and read the Bible, all that's good. Second thing God does, man, he's some food. Like, I just like that about God. I think that's so cool that God says, hey, take a nap, and when you wake up, we're going to eat some food. Like, sign me up for that, Jesus. Like, I'm all in. Like, that's the God that we serve. That tells you the grace that God gives. He, he could have said anything, but God says, no, in grace and in love, I want you to rest. I want you to be fed. I want you to be full. I, I know you're thirsty and exhausted. I want you to be satisfied. God does care about your physical well-being and your spiritual and emotional and mental well-being. This is, in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah, is proof. And the third thing God does, I think is maybe the most remarkable in my mind. The third thing God does 
He tells him to rest, gives him some food. I notice the next thing God does, he just listens. God doesn't, you know, badger him and all that. He just says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, it's not like God is saying, Elijah, I'm surprised you're here. I wasn't planning on you coming. Let me go make some food. No, God knew where he was. He's God. But have you ever been around a friend and you're going through something in your life and they just ask you some questions like, well, tell me about this. How would you feel about that? What do you think about they, they probably know the answer, but they're trying to get you to say it out loud so you can hear yourself say it. How many of you ever know, like, when you have kids, you can tell your kids something a hundred times, and they're not going to listen to you because you're the parent. But if somebody else tells them, they're like, oh, that's, a, that's the wisest thing you've ever said. That makes a lot of sense. That's what God is doing. God is trying to say, Elijah, I know why you're here. I think deep down you know why you're here, but you need to say it out loud. But it's amazing that God just listens to him. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, well, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me, and I'm, I've been faithful to you. And the whole nation, God, I thought they would, after they see fire from heaven, that they would turn and give their life to you and follow you again. But they didn't. I'm disappointed. I failed. And notice, God doesn't say anything. He just listens. Can I just tell you this about your God in heaven, that when you pray, he loves to listen to you. Yes, when you pray, a lot of times maybe God speaks back, but God just loves to hear you pray. He just loves to hear you, whether you're complaining, whether you're whining, whether you're venting, it doesn't matter. He just wants that relationship with you so bad. He says, look, if you're venting to me, if you're complaining, if you're whining, if you're blaming me, whatever, I just want you to talk to me in a relationship. That's what God wants. Listen, you need to take rest you need to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, or you will get burned out. And if you're not careful like Elijah, you may end up blaming God, when in reality, it's not God. It's our own doing. That's the case with Elijah. I think it's amazing as well that Elijah gets to this place where he can now begin to hear God. Sometimes you have to get alone and get away so you can hear the whisper of God. In fact, that, that's what happened uh, to me this week. I went away for just a few days with some other pastors in another state, had a great time. And, and I don't know if, if, if you're like me at all, but sometimes when I'm, when I'm in the middle of it and I'm just doing my daily routine, my mind can just turn into a fog where I can't see or think as clearly because I'm just, I'm in it, man. I'm doing it. But every now and then if I can get away, like literally away, and I miss my family, but just getting away, it's almost instantly the fog lifts, and I can see clearly. And that's what sometimes we need to do. you got to remove the distractions in your life, all the competing voices, all the competing thoughts in your head. Get away from them so that you can get alone and hear God. That's what God's doing with Elijah. Here's why this matters so much. Because rest renews my purpose. It's in the cave that God renews Elijah's purpose. Because notice what God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah tells him all again, I mean, two times, like Elijah's still not getting it. And notice God's response. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't defend anything. He just says, listen, when we're done at the cave, I want you to go and anoint two different kings, and I want you to anoint a guy that's going to replace you. In other words, Elijah, your purpose is not to be in a cave. Your purpose is to be a prophet. Your purpose is to tell other people. When you get in the cave of grace, that's the place where God restores us and renews our purpose in life because that's what God does with Elijah. Elijah, the problem is he's overconfident in his plan instead of God's plan. 
In fact, if we were to take a big picture, 40,000-foot view of this passage, what you would see in the whole chapter is Elijah keeps expecting God to do certain things, and God does the opposite. For example, in the very beginning, in chapter 18, Elijah expects that when fire comes down from heaven, the whole nation of Israel, they're going to turn, and it's going to be like a spiritual, you know, physical fire and a spiritual fire. There's going to be revival. People are going to give their life back to God, and all oh, it's going to be great. And we do the same thing in America every four years. If we can elect this person, oh, they'll turn our hearts back to God, and America will be a Christian nation, and oh, this is great. And it doesn't happen. We're going to do a prayer walk, a prayer rally. We're going to, I'm not saying, no, that's bad. No, that's very, very good. Prayer is the main thing that changes things. But when you put more confidence in the person you are voting for instead of the person you're praying to, you've got problems. When you get more confident in the party that you're loyal to instead of the God that you are seeking in your life and controlling your life, you've got problems. They will let you down every time. Why? Because they are not the answer. Only God is the answer. Fire could come down from heaven today in Yukon and there would still be people who don't turn their heart to God. It's not about having confidence in our plan. It's having confidence in God's plan. How do you know God's plan? By seeking him in your life. That's the message of Elijah. He's disappointed. I mean, that's what he says, that I thought with fire come down, the whole nation would turn to you. And they didn't, God. I failed. And then not only that, now he's in the cave. And notice it says that here's the, this massive tornado, I mean, an EF5 ripping through, and it's so powerful, it's breaking rocks, and that's how powerful the wind is, but God's not in that. Then there's an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. Then there's a fire. Hey, I just saw God come down with fire just a few moments ago, so surely God's in the fire. God's not in the fire. In fact, God is in the whisper. This was foreign to Elijah. Of all the ways Elijah had seen God move, of all the miracles Elijah had witnessed firsthand and prayed for God to do firsthand, he had never seen God in a whisper. He'd seen God in the wind. He'd seen God in the fire, seen God in an earthquake, but never the whisper. God is trying to show him, Elijah, stop putting me in a box. Elijah, stop, stop making me fulfill your expectations. Instead, stop having confidence in your plan and start seeking my plan. My plan is that you're not alone. There's 7,000 other people. You're definitely not alone. My plan is not that you die here in a cave alone. My plan is that you go out and anoint kings. I think it's fascinating that Elijah comes in the cave, a regular guy, a prophet, but a regular guy. But he comes out of the cave a kingmaker. Could it be that you might enter the cave of discouragement and when you meet God and he renews your purpose with his grace, that you come out a kingmaker and a queenmaker, that you are raising those kids to not just be sons and daughters, but kings and queens in the home, kings and queens in the workplace, kings and queens in their families and in their communities. God doesn't want us to be just regular people, but king and queen makers. That is your purpose. That's my purpose. That's what he's saying with Elijah. How do you get out of the cave? you got to renew your purpose. That's my question. Do you know your purpose? Here's the thing, and we say this at Pathway a lot. In fact, I would say we say it all the time, and it's true. We want three main things for your life. We want you to know God. We want you to find family. And we want you to make a difference. By the way, those are the three very things God is telling Elijah to do. I'd love to tell you that we came up with that on our own, like in some marketing strategy deal. We didn't. We got it from the Bible. You see it on page after page after page in the Bible. God is telling him, Elijah, you need to know me better. I know you already do know me, but you got to know me more. 
Because you think that if fire comes down, I'll turn the whole hearts of the nation. I don't always work like that. You think that I'm in the fire and the earthquake and the wind, but I'm in the whisper. Elijah, you got to know me more. Look, you can have a relationship with God for 20 years and do great miracles. That doesn't mean that you've arrived. No, we are always knowing God. We're always growing. We're always knowing more of him. Not always more of doctrine and theology. All that's fine. But I'm talking about a relationship with him. Second thing is, Elijah, you got to find family. You're not alone. There are 7,000 other people. Like, that's like a mega church. There's 7,000 other people. And then I want you to anoint two kings, and I want you to find your replacement named Elisha. Don't do life alone, Elijah. That's why you're in this position. We talked about that last week. God didn't create you to work all the time, and he didn't create you to do life alone. You need to get in a group. You need to get in a house party. We can't say that enough. Like, look, I'll just, I'm going to be totally honest, and, and again, not to offend, but, but if, if you come, some people are like, well, I like, I like it because it's a small church, and, and I can know everybody. And then a couple months later, they leave because they're like, well, I just, nobody ever talked to me. Really? Because you said you liked it because it was small, and then you get mad because nobody talked to you. And look, you can know everybody in a church of 1,000. I've done it. And you can know everybody in a church of 100. I can know no one in a church of 1,000, and I can know no one in a church of 100. It's not on them. It's on me. You give whatever you get. Whatever you get, you give. That's, that's in relationships. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I, I just, I'm not being fed or I don't have any relationships. Really, do you, have you been in a group? Well, no. Okay, well, we offer those like year round. And, and I know you're busy right now, but in the spring, or, are you on a purpose team? Well, no. Well, you know, it's really hard to build relationships when all you do is come in at 1030 and then you leave at 1130. Like, if you really want what you say you want, we're doing everything we can. A house party. That's what a house party is. It's literally a party at someone's house. We got real creative when we named that, like super creative. It took us hours to come up with that one. It's, it's a party. It's not a Bible study. It's a party. Like, you want to meet new people? That's why we designed house parties. That's the exact reason. You want to meet new people, and, and yeah, you're going to have to put yourself out there a little bit. It might be uncomfortable a little bit, but I promise you, after that first time, it won't be uncomfortable anymore because you know where they live, and you can go egg their house and toilet paper their yard if you want to. You're going to know other people in that house party. You're like, well, I want to grow deeper in my faith. That's what groups are all about. My group, there's a women's group. Start where you at, ladies. Let's hear it up. Ladies, we got a women's group tomorrow night. Like, you got to get in a women's group. My group, if you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to read the Bible and pray, like, really go in depth. My group, this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at our Pathway offices. We got all kinds of groups. On your way out, I want everybody, you scan the QR code on the back of the, of the welcome sign in the lobby. You need to get in a group. You need to get in a house party. You need to be on a purpose team, not because of us, but because what it's going to do for you, because we want you to find family, because we see that in 1 Kings 19. You're not going to make it on your own. You won't. You can try, but you won't. You're going to leave this church in a couple months. You're going to go to another church, and the first six months, it's going to be great. Like, oh, this is the answer. The last church, they didn't have that. This church does. And guess what? Six months after that, well, they, you know, they didn't talk to me, and you're going to leave that church, and you're going to do that over and over, and I see people doing that. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying because I love you, because I care, you need to build relationships. That's God's purpose for you. The third one is to make a difference. Elijah. I want you to make a difference. 
Well, man, God, I thought calling fire down from heaven would make a difference. No, no, no. I want you to anoint two different kings and find your replacement. Here's the thing. It was through those two different kings that revival came to Israel. It wasn't the way God thought. It was in the next generation with those kings. In fact, his, his servant, Elisha, his replacement, did twice as many things, twice as great things for God as Elijah ever did. Can I just say, when you stop putting God in a box and your expectations and your plan and you live what I call open-handed with God. God, it's your life. It's your will. I give it to you. And whatever you give me, God, I give it back to you. And, and I'm not going to have expectations of how you work and when you work. That's up to you. When you do that, that is what makes a difference. That is what changes things. That's how you make a difference. How do you and I make a difference? By telling people about Jesus, by bringing people to him and having a relationship with him. Here's the, here's the thing, I think the big takeaway is this, you got to live renewed. You have to live renewed. It's interesting, as we said, that Elijah goes in the cave. He's a prophet, which is really cool, but a regular guy. He comes out a kingmaker. He had never done that before. You can read the history and the life of Elijah. He'd never been a kingmaker, and now he's a kingmaker. It's all because he went into the cave. Let me just say, if you're in the cave right now, these are some ways that you can get out of the cave that we're talking about. But if you're in the cave, don't give up. Don't quit. God is not quitting on you even though you want to quit. Other people quit on you. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's just halftime. God has greater things for you tomorrow than you had yesterday. God is going to do greater things in your life. Don't give up. God is calling you out of the cave today. Step out. Step forward. And to be a king and queen maker that God called you to be. Step out of the cave. Thousands of years later, there'd be someone else that would be enter into a cave and they would come out not as a king maker but as the king of kings it's Jesus one of the differences between Elijah and Jesus was Elijah was ready to die because he thought he had failed Jesus willingly gave his life and succeeded in love for us Elijah went into the cave somewhat begrudgingly. God led him there, but Jesus goes into the cave willingly. Elijah's in the cave, and he's alive. Jesus is in the cave completely dead for three days. But when Jesus comes out on that Easter Sunday, he doesn't come out like the same Jesus he was before. He'll never be the same that he was before. He has what, what the Bible calls a glorified body, a resurrected body, a body that if you're a follower of Jesus, when, when Jesus returns, the bodies that we're going to have, it's like this one, but it's even better. And Jesus does amazing things. The other thing that I think is really interesting is that notice that as long as Elijah is in the cave, he's protected from the violence and the punishment of the things outside of the cave. The wind that was so strong it broke the rocks. The fire that burned everything up. The earthquake that shattered everything around him. But Elijah was protected because he was in the cave. See, when you give your life to Jesus, we're entering into the cave of his relationship, the cave of his forgiveness, the cave of his love. And that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that's what he did. He took all of our punishment for us. All of the evil, all the sin, all the wrong, everything that you've ever done and I've ever done, the wrong of the whole world. 
he took on him. He was the rock that was broken. He was the rock that the earthquake shook and killed. He was the rock that the fire consumed. He's the rock that the wind broke. His body was broken for us so that we could stay in him in a relationship and that we don't have to pay for our sins, all the evil, all the wrong that you've ever done. He did it for us. you got to live renewed. You live this way. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing. No, I'm living renewed every day because I'm living in the grace that Jesus gives me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for 1 Kings 19 and for the true story of Elijah. This isn't something that's fictitious. This really happened. It's historically accurate. We thank you for the lessons and principles that it teaches us about discouragement and depression and anxiety and fear, wanting to quit. Ways that we can get into the cave of loneliness and darkness and ways that you lead us back out. We're thankful that the ultimate cave that protects us is you. Lord, I pray for every person that is here that they would commit, even for the next six months, commit to, I'm going to know God. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. Not once a month, every Sunday. I'm going to know God more. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Not because that's what Christians do, but because I want to know my Father more. And I'm going to get into a group. I'm going to get into, I'm going to be committed to it. Because I need relationships. And I'm going to make a difference. And so I'm going to be a king and queen maker. I'm going to bring people to Jesus. Let us commit to that. If you're here today, as we're all just praying, but today you would like to give your life to Jesus. We're not asking you to join our church or find religion. All oh, that's that's fine. But today I'm giving you the opportunity of a relationship that will change your life forever. The only relationship that really can, because he's the one that created you. The only one that gave everything to have a relationship with you. All that we ask you to do is simply raise your hand. You don't have to stand up or come to the front, but right where you're at, everybody else, we're just praying. Yeah, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Right now, if you would just raise your hand. say this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died and rose again for me. I love you. From today on, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you. Well, we are so glad that you joined us for this episode of the Pathway Church Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. And if you would like to connect with Pathway Church, text CONNECT to 400-405-0339 today. And one of our staff members will be in touch with you as soon as possible. We can't wait to see what God is doing in your life. We hope that you know God, find family, and make a difference. Have a great week. Oh,